Hey everyone, this is a Page of Life podcast. Um, I know I just released my first welcome video like a couple days ago, but I was just so excited to keep you going. So um, this episode is going to be focused around Megan Poulin's journey uh, with the Mormon religion from being born into it to officially leaving when she was 26. So you can just introduce yourself, say anything that you want to say, and then we can get started. So hi, well, it's good to be here. I'm excited to be on your podcast <laughs> and answer your questions about what it was like to grow up in one religion and leave and have to sort of reinvent my life. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear about this. So first of all, you were born into the Mormon religion, obviously. So what was that like in your childhood and your early life and just your development as a person? So I feel like for people who grow up in the West around a lot of Mormon culture, people that live in Colorado or Utah, or Arizona, California, Idaho, those areas have enough Mormon population where they might have known other Mormon families. Um, but for people who are, are not familiar, they assume that I might have grown up in a polygamous environment. Mm -hmm. um, but the mainstream Mormon religion is not practicing polygamy. But I do come from lineage where my, my great-great-grandfather had 13 wives, oh and gosh. I am from that 13th wife. So that was part of my family history. But I grew up in Colorado where I knew a lot of Mormon kids, but I was obviously different and it felt normal to me, but we had a lot of rules that didn't apply to most of the kids that um, were around me. I would say the main thing that I know about growing up Mormon as a girl in my childhood was that I was very frustrated mm -hmm. with the rules because the Mormon religion is very pa patriarchal. Mm -hmm. So the men have all the power. Right. They literally have powers starting at age 12. The boys have power that I don't have. And mm -hmm. I was always made to feel that my power is in my ability to give birth and that my entire reason for being on this planet was always to become someone's wife and to have as many children as I could. Right. That must have been really difficult to like hear all the time growing up, especially if, I mean, you had one brother or two brothers? I have two younger brothers. Yeah. Um, I think it was confusing because I didn't know anybody that was saying anything different. Mm -hmm. So the ways that I disliked it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I just, I didn't like having to wear dresses and skirts to church. Right. I didn't like having to look a certain way to be accepted. I wanted, for example, my brothers got to be Boy Scouts mm -hmm. and go to Boy Scout camp and learn archery and horseback riding. And they went on these long, arduous journeys through the mountains. And girls camp for girls of the same age was uh, basically pitching a tent in a parking lot on a mountain oh somewhere. <laughs> Oh my gosh, my Girl Scout heart is crying. <laughs> yeah, we learned how to like cook foil dinners over a fire for our future families. That's the kind of stuff we did. And I always wanted to be the one like shooting yeah. those and arrows and doing that kind of stuff. So Yeah, and not being able to vocalize that, I'm sure it was a difficult part of dealing with those emotions because I'm sure it was pretty internalized considering it wasn't really something you could talk about. I mean, could you really share that with anyone? Like your was it kind of something that you just had to deal with on your own and figure out how you were feeling? Well, I was always really I was I, on the one hand, I was a rule follower, like a kid who really wanted to be loved and liked and accepted. It was really, I, I was the teacher's pet, you know, I wanted to do the right thing. That was mm -hmm. really important to me. 
but I also wanted the rules to make sense. And there were lots of rules that didn't make sense to me that we had to follow. Like for example, Mormons are not allowed to drink coffee, which they would talk about like caffeine being the reason for that coffee or tea, but then you weren't allowed to drink herbal tea, which didn't have caffeine in it, but you could drink a Mountain Dew. Right. Which did have caffeine in it. <laughs> so very contradictory. And those kinds of things really bugged me as a kid. And I never got satisfactory answers right. about that. It just, it was like, I would ask the questions and I was the only one that ever asked questions in my classes as a young girl. And I was, I, I grew up feeling like I was the, the annoying one that just right. wouldn't fall in line. Right. I, I completely understand that. It's just really difficult, especially if you're a really curious kid. Like, you just want to know these answers. And if people keep pushing you off, they just build up. Right. I, I would totally follow the rules if you just made them make sense to me. Right. Yeah. They just, like, they were logical. But, um, yeah, I think, I mean, was that, like, so, like, did you recognize those feelings then? Recognize those feelings as you not wanting to be in that religion, like, at the time? Or just kind of realizing little things about it that didn't make sense to you? Or was that something you kind of noticed later in life where you were like oh this was the first time I started feeling like this wasn't for me I think that that is a question I've asked myself so much as an adult right like wanting to understand there's this huge rebellious part of me that I recognize in myself even as a child but I I never did rebel really mm -hmm. I really wanted to follow the rules and I think that was more about me I actually really cared about God mm -hmm. and who God is and what happens after this life, like I was well suited to be in a religion because I had a lot of existential questions about right. what is the meaning of my life and the meaning of the universe and where do we go when we die? And yeah, those super questions common. are important to me. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to make sense of it. And um, when it didn't make sense, it there were a lot of messages sent that the reason it didn't make sense to me that there was something wrong with me. Right that I was, I didn't want it enough, or I didn't care enough about Jesus, or mm -hmm. I didn't care enough about Heavenly Father, right. or I was doing something that made it so I was unworthy. And those shaming messages were really important in shaping the kind of kid that I was, mm -hmm. and the kind of adult that I had to sort of fight to grow out of. Right. I mean, that's a really common theme, especially growing up in pretty much, actually, even just day-to-day -day life of people kind of shaming you for thinking differently, especially in terms of sexuality, uh, just expressing yourself in general. It's just really difficult to find that understanding that not everyone is going to be happy with the way that you're thinking, but especially when it's in such a closed environment where you're, you know, these people that are telling you that you're thinking the wrong way or it, this is not correct. I'm sure it'd just be really difficult to find your way through that and figure out, you know, is this actually me being a bad person or am I, am I just genuinely trying to to figure out what's right on, on my own time in my own way, you know, like I'm not just blindly following into this. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear mm -hmm. in the Mormon culture mm -hmm. about doing the wrong thing or being the wrong way and a lot of conformity. So yeah. I always tell people it was, it was sort of like growing up in an Instagram post Yeah, where everything was very curated and even in your own family, like when you're by yourself in your own family, it felt like every, nothing was actually really known or shown right. in a real way. When did it start, those feelings for you start intensifying? Like when did it start getting genuinely worse when you realized that this wasn't something that you were happy with? 
So when I was in high school, high school Mormon kids have to go to something called seminary, which mm -hmm. is just outside church um, education, right. like for an hour every day, five days a week, mm -hmm. on top of going to church for three hours on Sundays. Oh my gosh. So it was a lot. And where I lived, they didn't have that incorporated into the high school like they do in like Utah. The kids would go. That would be one of the classes they would take at school. Uh, so my seminary class started at five o'clock. Let's see. It was something like six o'clock in the morning. It would start, or say, 530 in the morning. So I had to get up at 5 a.m. to get to this seminary class. And I would go and all the kids would be like grumpy and sleeping through it. And I would be asking questions that right. were irritating to the teachers. When I was a sophomore, I got into a terrible car accident between going from seminary to the high school. And it had a lot, uh, it had a profound effect on my health. But importantly for me, uh, in the recovering of that accident, I just told my parents, like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think that it was like my get out of jail free card. Right. So I, they, they, they let me start playing volleyball on Sundays in a volleyball team that was really unusual for them to allow. Mm -hmm. And I started to think, okay, like maybe they they see me, maybe they really see that I, this isn't my thing. Right. And they're going to be okay with it. Cause they could see that volleyball was my thing mm -hmm. and that I was still a good kid. So I felt like that in high school, like once I would just kind of creep my way towards independence essentially. And then in college, I really heavily explored it on my own terms and kind of came to the conclusion that it really wasn't something I believed. Right. And I really earnestly tried. You, yeah, I'm sure. More than the average 18-year-old kid would ever try to fit into their religion. It was mm -hmm. almost abnormal how much I cared about it. <laughs> well, so. when you were 19, I believe you did actively try to leave. And mm -hmm. how did that work out? What happened? So I had a boyfriend that I fell in love with who is not Mormon, which is not normally like an acceptable thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can date a kid, people that aren't Mormon, but when you marry, you need to marry a Mormon. And Mormons get married very young. 19 was an age in which a lot of Mormon kids get married. So the fact that I was falling in love with a non-Mormon kid was a big deal to my parents. And when I started to show more and more active signs that I was not going to actively be following all the Mormon rules, my parents just kind of, I know that they loved me, but they really shamed me. And I felt them withdraw and I withdrew and I felt for quite a while during my college years that um, I would be completely alone in the world if I, I just felt like, okay, yeah, if I make isolated. this choice, I will, it's not like they would disown me, but every time I was around my family, my safe place, I would feel like I didn't belong. Right. And that feeling of not belonging to your own tribe became really real to me in college. Like that was going to be my life. And every decision I made outside of the Mormon decisions would be uh, one that would build this huge wall between me and my entire tribe of people. Right. And it was really painful. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, especially moving away from something that you've known for so long, even if you know that it's not something you believe in anymore, or you feel drawn to in the same way you used to, or were taught to moving away from that and finding your place in the world is 
just so jarring in the way you view everything because it separates pretty much everything you've known and that wall comes down. And I'm sure that you later in life figured that out uh, even more so than you did when you were 19 and because and you actually lived through it. But um, until that, fast forwarding later in life, I just wanted to mention about how, you know, you met your husband, your now husband. And um, so explaining what the mission is, just for anyone who doesn't know that's listening, um, basically it's a two-year commitment. Um, men and women can go, but it's more of a press for boys and it's paid for by the family. Um, and during those two years, you follow really strict rules. You are never by yourself. Um, you can't call anyone. You can only call home on Mother's Day and Christmas. And they assign you to literally any place in the world. You have no say in that. Um, and in that place, you do various things to spread the gospel, so to speak, or get people to be involved in the religion. Um, and so you met Rick um, on his mission through a letter, correct? Right. So I actually, in my in my college years of feeling like super afraid that I I knew in college that I really didn't belong in the Mormon church, mm -hmm. but I also knew that I, if I didn't have the church, that I wouldn't have my family in the way that would make me feel safe. So I actually transferred college uh, schools. I was going to Colorado state and I transferred to Utah and moved to Utah thinking that I would like immerse myself in the culture and find a Mormon boy to love right. and it would be okay. And I hated so much living there that by the time I graduated from college, I knew, I mean, really, I knew I was going to have to find a way to tell my parents that my adult life, I had graduated from college. So I was start starting my life and I was trying to find a way to tell them that I was going to not do the, all the things that they thought I was going to do. Like mm -hmm. I was going to have to break their hearts. Right. And at the time, uh, my younger, I have two younger brothers, my middle brother, who's just two years behind me, went on his mission to Sacramento, California, and he was gone. That was a huge deal in my family. We all wrote letters to him weekly. And my mom cried a lot of tears of missing him. And, but they were so proud of him. And they talked about that pride all the time. And I was living in their home, trying to figure out how I was going to launch my adult life when the one of the missionaries that was living with my brother saw a picture of me, <laughs> a picture my brother had and said, Hey, is that your girlfriend? And my <laughs> brother was horrified, you know, I was like, no, that's my sister. And, <laughs> and this missionary was super, super lonely and didn't come from a Mormon family. Right. He had um, converted to the Mormon religion after he graduated from college. Mm -hmm. And so his parents were kind of like, what? You're going to be Mormon? Why? You're going to go on this two-year mission? Right. You know, in the middle of the time where you should be launching your life mm -hmm. and you didn't have a lot of friends or people connecting with him. So he was like, I'm going to write your sister a letter. And he did. He wrote me this weird letter. And when I got it, I thought he was the weirdest person because <laughs> he was a complete stranger to me. And I was in a time where I was trying to get out Right. Of the religion. So the last, I mean, I remember my mom's like hope shining in her face and in her eyes. And she hands me this letter from this strange missionary. And I was thinking the last thing that I want in this world is a 19 year old. I'd be, I being 21 thought I was way, you know, more mature, but mm -hmm. had gone through school. And I thought, I do not want this young missionary boy writing to me. This is the last thing I wanted. But when I read his letter, 
I was intrigued. <laughs> like I was fascinated that he had graduated from school and had majored in mathematics and political science. He was obviously really smart and he taught himself to play the guitar and he was from Vermont, a state that was so far away. I barely knew it existed. And I was interested and so deeply lonely. So I did write him back, but I was very blunt. Mm -hmm. And I told him like, uh, you know, I love writing letters. I love writing and I, but I don't want to be your project. And I don't really believe in the Mormon church at all. So I'll write to you if you don't care that you're not writing to a Mormon girl, you're writing to a girl that does not want to be Mormon. And he wrote me back and we became pen pals. Mm -hmm. And I was always very, very honest, just as I was in that first letter with him. Right. Um, honestly, that is just such a adorable love story. I know it was a really difficult circumstance, but I truly, every time I hear that, I'm just like blown away about how storybook like that is. Um, but so from his belief in the religion, he like, quote unquote, pulled you back in. Was that sort of what happened? Like you stayed longer for him? Like, how did that work? So during a lot of the time that we were writing letters to each other, we also started making little cassette tapes. I carried around like a little cassette recorder (laughs) with a tiny little cassette tape and I would talk to him all throughout the day, like when I had some time. And after I'd filled up a two hour tape, I would mail it to him and he would listen to that. And then, so we were having conversations that were just taking a really long time to right. in addition to the letters. And um, while we were doing that, I actually was living with my very, very Mormon grandmother, my mother's mother, um, because I was doing my student teaching to get my teaching license in the same town that my grandma lived in mm-hmm. Utah. So I had to move back to Utah even though I was sure I didn't want to be Mormon and live in, a, in an incredibly Mormon town and teach in an incredibly Mormon area and be a student teacher and live with her. And during that time, I was writing to this missionary and I just thought, I'm going to give this one last try, yeah, like the biggest try of my life. So I did, there's a long list of things I had to repent for, you know, um, things that I had to go confess to a bishop about, uh, ways that I had to prove myself and earn my worthiness. Um, But when I started doing those things in the visible sight of my grandmother and my aunts and uncles and other cousins, I began to feel accepted in a way that it's not that they weren't nice to me before, but they were like proud of me mm-hmm. and they saw me in a way they, I felt comfortable in my, with my own people. Right. And I hadn't felt that way for a really long time. And it felt so good. And I started fantasizing that my life could be like that. Mm-hmm. Like I could have that level of love and acceptance offered to me and I could accept these things. So I tr- convinced myself that not only was Rick, the missionary I was writing, worth the trouble, mm-hmm. but that it's ultimately what I actually wanted because right. it felt really, really good to be a part of my family in that way. Yeah. So. I mean, fast forwarding to when you kind of actually left, which I know is a pretty big step because obviously you're really trying to find your way in this one more time and just really push for the last, you know, final ditch attempt. But um, when you did 
actually end up leaving. How did those feelings accumulate for you? And I know that you mentioned that Rick wasn't, he wasn't feeling the same way as you did. So how did that even work? What was the dynamic with that? And especially with your mental health, I mean, that's a really difficult decision to make. So making it and having to have someone and a partner with you not feel the same, like how did that, how did that even work for you? So we got married and we got married in the Mormon temple, which was a very big deal. There was a lot of like sort of secret ceremony around that in the Mormon culture. That's very precious and very spiritual. And um, those commitments were, I mean, like as, as firm as pledging your life. Right. Okay. So they were that and something I knew I was going to have to do. Mm-hmm. So when I did it, I took it so seriously because mm-hmm. I was a kid that wanted to, you know, take things seriously. And I took my commitments to Rick seriously. And we, we had two daughters within the first two and a half years of being married. And during the time that I was pregnant with these babies, um, I think I always thought I would have boys. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I often wonder like what would have happened if I'd had boys? Would I have had the same crisis? I know that right after I got married, the first time Rick and I showed up at church together, we're talking a week, like we, we got married. We went on a one week honeymoon. We came back and went to church together. And the first day we went to church together, I thought, oh my God, I made a huge mistake. Oh my gosh. Because I thought that my love for him and being married would somehow fix it. I was 23 mm-hmm. and I, I was told that it would fix it, that God would fix it. And I went to church and I felt all those same feelings. And I think what saved me was that I told Rick every time I was having those feelings, mm-hmm. we'd come home from church and I'd say, I hated that talk. I didn't like that part. I didn't agree with that part. And so he was not surprised as the years went by and I had girls and mm-hmm. I think having girls really was confronting for me. Like I had to think about how I was going to talk to these little girls about my real feelings. Mm -hmm. And I just had a moment where I realized that I was living a total lie. I loved my husband and my kids, but I was able to like perpetuate that lie for the sake of my, my, my mother and father and my brothers and my husband. But not my babies, Mm -hmm. not my babies. And it wasn't an act of bravery. It was an act of like self-preservation Yeah, because it became dire where I was crying myself to sleep every single night. I was afraid of being a 26 year old mother of two and divorced. Yeah. And I knew that Rick loved me, but I knew that I couldn't give him what he wanted. He was so involved in the church he was so he's like a he's good at he's like a person that's like good at everything he does and he was good at being a mormon and he was well liked and getting a lot of like roles within the church that gave him a lot of sort of power and prestige and i hated all of it Mm -hmm. i hate and i hated seeing him get sucked further and further into it and i would tell him i don't want you to be i don't want to do this this is not what i want and it came to the 
head where I just had, like, it was a mental health crisis. Like I, I, I did not have a choice but to leave. Yep. And Rick left with you, even though he didn't feel the same way. Right. I think he, at the time he saw, he had witnessed my misery Mm -hmm. and how hard I had tried since that first letter. And so he saw the level of misery it was creating for me and he was able to leave with me. It was very hard because he wasn't, he wasn't with me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to go. Right. But he, he prioritized me over God. It felt like, mm-hmm. it felt like I was asking my husband, will you choose me or will you choose your God? Which is such a sacrilegious, yeah. horrible position to put him in and in his training he should never have chosen me Mm -hmm. ever nothing comes before god and but he left and my our agreement was let's just try it to not go and extricate ourselves a little bit and see if it eased my pain and if it became really painful for him then i told him that i would renegotiate like mm-hmm. we would talk about going back. Right. But it was maybe six months into that where I re- I had a, a moment where I knew, like, I will never, yeah. never go back. I hope he doesn't ask me to because I knew that at that point I would never return. Right. And how long was it until Rick was fully comfortable with not being part of the church anymore? So this was a really lonely part of my marriage because um, while I felt supported by him because he was willing to leave with me, He also didn't want to talk about it. Right. And there was no social media. There was no way to like reach out and get into, you know, support, find support. I, I basically left the participation. uh, Like I didn't have my family to talk to. I had zero friends outside of the Mormon faith. I had no one. Right. And I didn't have my husband. He did not want to process it with me or talk about it, but he seemed okay he seemed like he was functioning okay. And when I would ask him about it, he would be like, I'm, I'm okay. I just don't want to like, I don't want to talk badly about the church. I love the church. Right. And for me, I felt like I had died. Yeah. So I felt like I didn't know who I was at all. Like when you, when you stop belonging to the very thing that was like the bones in mm-hmm. my body, it felt like I just collapsed into this puddle and I didn't know what to think about anything. I didn't know what, what, how I felt about anything, the clothes I wore, the underwear I wore, the, the drinks I, I partook of the kinds of food I ate, the kinds of words I used, the kinds of things I read. It was so disorienting. And I was making decisions as a parent that felt terrifying. Right. And I was kind of alone in all of that because my husband, he had a way he he could just go back to the person he was before he became Mormon. Right. Because he he converted. He converted. So he didn't join the church till he was 23 years old. Yeah. And so he had 23 years of being himself. Mm -hmm. And I'd never really been, I didn't know who I was at all or how to think about my, myself or my, my girls. Right. And it was, um, it, the the closest thing I can say is that it felt like I died and I didn't yeah. know who, like I was still alive, but also dead. Like I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that must've been so intense. And those feelings, I mean, by yourself dealing with those on your own, I just, I completely, it just sounds so 
like raw and intense to deal with. Um, I mean, I know that you had a really interesting story outside of that of um, someone else's revelation uh, in part of the church, one of your friends, and how that actually recently kind of started coming back. But I was wondering if you could say anything about that, um, just to kind of associate with your own experience. Yeah, so so one of the ways that I coped with not having Rick to help me cope was like one one part of the Mormon faith was that they they really um, use a lot of fear to make sure that you don't read anything that's not faith promoting. That's they call it faith promoting materials. So you're not supposed to read anything that would take you away from your faith in the Mormon church, which really means you're not supposed to read about other religions or, you know, anything that would shake your faith. Um, and they, they blatantly say there's things like there's these bad people called anti-Mormons and they write anti-Mormon literature, which is all these really bad and scary things about the church that will not only damage you, but they're like evil. It's almost like the way people talk about, well, in my circles, they also talked about pornography the same way. So I started reading all this stuff online and I found out all this stuff about my own religion that I did not know before. And it was terrifying. It was like, uh, I was lied to. They whitewash things or they hide things or they just blatantly made up stuff that wasn't real right. that I found evidence to. Um, and when I would want to talk to Rick about it, he didn't want to know those things. And I just felt almost tortured by some of the stuff that I was learning. Um, maybe uh, a year after we left, I had this really good friend that I used to, that I worked with in the Mormon church. She and I were very close in educating young women in the, in the church. And we were very, very close friends. She was devastated when we left and I had to tell her that we weren't going to be Mormon anymore. She was super upset with me and we'd had lots of conversations, tearful conversations about it. And um, one day she calls me up uh, at the, I was living in Colorado. I had two kids. She had like two or three kids and she called me up and she said, I want to know why you left you've always sort of mentioned that there were things you found out and that there were reasons why you couldn't go back. And I want to know. And I was, I didn't want to tell her because I knew how devastating it was to me. And I had already left when I found those things out and I knew she was married and she had three kids and she was married to a, a man who believed. And I, I told her, I said, you know, you have to, I want to make sure you know what you're asking. If I tell you, if I give you this information, it's going to rock your world. And do you want to rock your world yeah. since you're, you have three small children and a husband? Yeah. And I want you to think about it. And you, you call me back in a couple of days if you really want to know. So she called me back in a couple of days and she said, tell me. And I gave her two, two things to investigate. Uh, one, one had to do with, uh, polygamy, the past historical polygamy in the, in the Mormon faith. And one had to do with a, a book of scripture that the Mormons believe is sacred and, and canonized scripture. And I want, and I just gave her the information and she ended up calling me in tears and fear. And I just felt heartbroken for her. She was so upset. Right. And I said, have you told your husband? And she said, 
he wants to just pray and I'm so scared and I felt so awful. Right. And I never heard from her again. I mean, I never heard from her again. And when social media became a thing, we started following each other and I would see that she was living this very, very traditional Mormon life. And I always wondered like how she, she must've just decided to forget about that. Like just flip the switch, turn it off and never think about it again. And in a way I was kind of cheering for her because I think Rick and I and our ability to manage what we did manage was unusual. Right. And I didn't want to contribute to her pain or her family's pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, this is like, I think that conversation where I never heard from her again happened in, it was probably 2010, mm-hmm. 2021. She messaged me on Instagram and told me that she had never forgotten that conversation, that it was with her, her entire the entire time and that she had decided to be free. And I was so shocked. I could barely breathe for the rest of the day, but I understand, you know, and I was, she's a mother of four women, four young women. And I, I hope that she's okay. Yeah. I mean, just hearing those, I mean, it's not a common thing. Like I understand leaving a religion or or finding your way out of that is a very um, big part of a lot of people's lives, but it's not, incredibly common just because of how difficult it is especially with the mormon religion so hearing that someone close to you and having you contribute that way and then especially it looping around so recently and having her you know share that with you i just that sounds so just like such an incredible thing just to to witness happen and be a part of but um i mean that entire story with you finding your way through that and having to do so much self-discovery and introspection, introspection, introspective thinking and finding what you really believed and the differences between what you've been taught and what you, what you knew was correct for you. Like, I just, it's, it, that is such a level of willpower and and grit to stick through and push yourself and try. And obviously you tried, you tried so hard, but it, it didn't fit. And it, I don't know. I just think that was an incredible story. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. I'm so excited that you are the first person to be in my podcast. And um, I really hope that you can come on again some other time because I know you have so many other good stories just to, to share. And you're such a good storyteller. You're so good. <laughs> I was just absolutely like entranced the whole time. But um, well, yeah. Thank you. It's <laughs> been really, really fun. Yeah, I glad. love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Um, okay. I will see you the next time an episode comes out. But thank you for listening. Thanks, Caitlin. <laughs>